Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Call us a fast society, an efficient society, but don't call us a personal society. Our society is set up for isolation. We wear earbuds when we exercise, we communicate via email and text messages. Our mantra, I leave you alone, you leave me alone. Yet God wants his people to be an exception. Let everyone else go the way of computers and keyboards. God's children will be people of hospitality. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. The believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. Every day in the temple and in people's homes, they continued teaching the people and telling the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The primary gathering place of the church was in the home. Now today we meet in the Archbishop's Corner and we recall the words of Jesus that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. For the early Christian community, the house was the primary gathering place that the Eucharist was celebrated and where the gospel was shared. So today we meet in the Archbishop's Corner to celebrate God's Word and break open a new understanding of the gospel as we look to Archbishop Leonard Blair to open our hearts and minds to God's Word. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you doing? Well, pretty well. I think all things considered under the circumstances, as we all are trying mm. our best. Are you significantly bored with the quarantine, or have you been keeping busy? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm bored. Uh, in fact, if anything, uh, there's less activity, but what there is is more, um, how should we say? Intense. Intense. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's the right word. We have to be concerned about many things yeah. and uh, to deal with many things in a different way. Tomorrow is National Renewal Day. It's a day for looking at life anew and starting up things that you've been meaning to do for a while. A lot of us have been home more than ever this, these past weeks, so now's the time to revamp the house, take a look at your life, consider refreshing it. Do you have anything that you'd like to renew tomorrow on National Renewal Day? Yes, I'd like to renew the practice of going to Mass on Sunday, <laughs> but that's what I want to renew and so many other people, too. But uh, we just have to be patient. That brings up a good question. We might as well tackle it now because on Wednesday, there was a letter to the editor in the Waterbury newspaper. This was from Marguerite Christie from Watertown. And Marguerite writes to the editor, she says, I believe the time has come for Hartford Archbishop Leonard P. Blair and possibly all the priests in the Waterbury area to speak out and demand that places of worship be reopened. The closings resulted from Governor Ned Lamont's executive order in which Lamont recommended no gathering of 10 or more people. Church leadership then took it upon itself and barred parishioners from practicing their faith and prohibited them from being in the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but Marguerite goes on to say the time has come for us to take a proactive stand and allow the congregants to participate in the public celebration of Mass. My hope is that the Archbishop and others will be not afraid and stand up for the freedom to practice our religion openly and together as we are Jesus Christ's flock. Be not afraid. That's how she ends the letter, Archbishop. What do you, what do you say to Marguerite and others who might share the same opinion then? 
Well, first of all, I have to respectfully let a little air out of the balloon uh, in as much as uh, we're not having public liturgies, not because the governor ordered us to, but because I, and uh, not in consultation with others, but it just turned out that apparently all the bishops of the United States uh, decided that it was not in the uh, interest of uh, safety and health uh, to have public liturgies, and so we stopped them. Uh, in fact, if I understand correctly, in Connecticut, Governor Lamont was actually more uh, accommodating in as much as for churches, uh, you still can have up to 50 people attend. But even with that, I decided that we should keep our churches closed, that it was the prudent thing to do under these circumstances for the safety and health of our people. So uh, I think it's a, it's not correct to say that we're only closed down because of government imposition. Now, in different states, in different s situations, that may be true. It's certainly true in Europe. And uh, I know that uh, this past week, a lot of the hierarchies, including in Italy, have said that uh, the government should start to make more accommodation for public worship. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, it was Pope Francis himself who in the midst of this said, we still need to be cautious. First of all, I think we have to understand that, uh, yes, the, the Holy Eucharist and the sacraments are at the heart of Catholic life. At the same time, we also realize that God is not circumscribed by us, that, uh, you know, in circumstances that are difficult or make it impossible for us to participate, that God's grace is not lacking to us. Now, if we were talking here about, uh, you know, waiting for another year or something, that would be different. I, I would find that deeply troubling. We're talking about some weeks or even months where this is the case. I've not closed the churches in the archdiocese, as some places have been decided to do or required to do. I encourage priests, if possible, for them to have exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, but to keep people apart. And we certainly are looking forward to the day we're all beginning to really uh, squirm, uh, you know, not because the government is forcing us, but just because we're hoping that things will get better, uh, that we can start to open up Mass for people. So w the bishops nationally are working on this right now, even as we speak, uh, because these shows are pre-recorded. It might be by the time that uh, this is aired, uh, there will be something nationally. Uh, guidelines for bishops, yeah. even though different bishops in different places may make different judgments about how to go about it. But it's clear that we're going to have to practice social distancing and be careful. So, you know, God gave us a sense of religion and of worship and practice of faith. God also gave us uh, human reason. And the Catholic Church, for example, has never interpreted what our Lord says about handling deadly snakes uh, to mean that uh, Catholics should go dip their hand in a basket of vipers or, right. or cobras and, and say, well, God's going to preserve me. That's not how we'd understand that scripture. And similarly... Uh, while it's true that we are people of faith and we know that God's providence watches over us, he also gave us a brain, and we have to be rational about and prudent about not only protecting our own health, which we have an obligation to do, but also protecting the health and safety of others. But, but like you say, you haven't closed the churches. So indeed, if somebody wanted to go to a church, go in and sit, again, recognizing make social a visit distancing, to the Blessed make a visit and pray there, that would be a wonderful thing to do, and nobody is stopping them. No, and I, well, I, I want to give this caution. I told priests that if it's possible for them to do it, that they, they can do it. So maybe not all the churches have availed themselves of that. You know, this is complicated because 
if you do it, you have to be sure that you're, that people are practicing social distancing. You have to wipe down the areas where they've been, uh, you know. Sure. And so this requires workers or, or the priest himself. So, you know, the, the, these are very complicated things. I mean, but then even just going to the grocery store today is a very complicated thing, isn't it? It truly so, is. Uh, so we, we have to be thoughtful of other people, too, and realize that it, under the circumstances, we, we're used to doing what we want, when we want, and how we want it. And this is teach, that's America. And we're being uh, chastened a little bit to realize that we can't always do exactly what we want, uh, when we want, and how we want it for the common good. So there's a certain discipline in that and a certain humility. And uh, I think that the common good and the safety of uh, other people is very important. Let's talk about Tuesday because May 5th is the beginning of Teacher Appreciation Week and Tuesday is National Teacher Day. And on this day, we honor those who influence and inspire the next generation through their work. Teachers are an important part of every child's life as they affect who they are and who they become. For Teacher Appreciation Week, who was the teacher who most influenced your life, Archbishop, perhaps when you were a student at the Gregorian University in Rome? Well, that's interesting. You know, you asked me about that all those uh, years ago. But, you know, I think of them as professors at mm-hmm. higher education. Uh, when you say teacher, I think of grade school more than I, or even high school, more than I do of, of uh, further education. So I would think, you know, particularly of the sisters I had in grade school more than anything when it comes to teachers yeah. uh, and appreciation for the education and faith and everything else that we got. And I think, too, that today, you know, I think... Uh, parents with stay-at-home kids and stay-at-home parents uh, who are uh, seeing education at work remotely with their children, either through you know the computer uh, online or through their own efforts, maybe parents have a, a deeper appreciation of what teachers do now that they <laughs> have to kind of do it themselves or they see how it, how it works with their children. I think that that's very true, and I think that that's been said over and over again by so many parents who now have a greater appreciation of the the role and the, the enormous job that teachers have. Wednesday is National Nurses Day and the start of National Nurses Week, and on this day we raise awareness of all the nurse contributions and commitments and acknowledge the vital role that nurses play in society. Nurses certainly are the heroes as they work on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Any words of praise, Archbishop, or encouragement for our nurse heroes? Yes, well, a couple of things. One is that uh, just before coming to do this uh, interview, uh, Bishop Betancourt sent me something from Trinity Health, from, uh, from which would be St. Francis Hospital and St. Mary's Hospital in Waterbury for this archdiocese, in which the head of the hospital uh, sent to all their staff uh, pictures uh, and a paragraph uh, saying how the Sisters of St. Joseph in their house uh, were uh, gathering in prayer uh, for all the nurses and healthcare workers under under these uh, the strain of these times, and it showed a picture. Uh, in our chapel here at uh, the Pastoral Center, the St. Thomas Seminary Chapel, with our seminarians seated at a great, great distance from one another in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, also praying for healthcare workers. And uh, I've encouraged all the priests. Uh, we've had some Zoom calls, you know, with, uh, with priests mm-hmm. in the archdiocese and told them, you know, uh, please consider having your parish put out a sign especially if your parish is located on a, on a busy road or intersection. Uh, they're easy to order these signs. To put that out there, uh, indicating the church's uh, support for all the healthcare workers who are, who are striving so mightily 
to take care of the sick, often under very, very challenging conditions and at risk of their own health. And on May 6th, which is Nurses' Day, I've been invited by Trinity Health uh, to offer a blessing and a word of encouragement to all the nurses uh, at St. Francis and at St. Mary's. And they've assured me that they can, I can do this with the necessary uh, uh, equipment and distancing. Uh, they don't want to put my own health in danger, and I'm, I'm very happy to do that. So that's what I'm planning to do on that day. It's kind of funny, you know, at first the thought was maybe they should put me in a helicopter flying over St. <laughs> Francis, seriously, St. Yeah, Francis and yeah. St. Mary's. And I said, well, I'm not entirely keen about that. So I think this is much better. Plus, it puts me actually in closer proximity to the to the nurses that day. Archbishop, on Thursday, May 7th, is the National Day of Prayer, which usually comes on the first Thursday in May. It's an annual observance, a day inviting people of all faiths to pray for the nation. When we face hardships and periods of uncertainty, we turn to prayer to guide us through. Talk to our listeners, if you would, about the importance of prayer, especially at this time when churches are closed and the world is dealing with this coronavirus pandemic. Well, I I would back up and say that, you know, prayer which is, as the Catechism says, the raising of our mind and heart to God in thanksgiving and petition and adoration, that that is at the heart of the human person, of who we are and of of human life. Let's face it, a lot of times we impoverish uh, that high calling and high dignity, because it is a high dignity to be a rational creature made in the image and likeness of God and therefore be able to enter into a personal relationship with him through prayer. We often turn that into something that, uh, you know, is uh, the, the famous phrase, the, the Hail Mary pass, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, I don't even, li- I know people mean it innocently and I, I don't scowl, but deep down I, I don't even like that reference, you know, the Hail Mary, as if, yeah, when you're in a pinch and you need, uh, you know, then you call for uh, ass- divine assistance. assistance yeah. um, where well, the reality is that our whole life uh, should be a prayer. And I hope that in times like this, that people realize it's if they're just going to spend one day saying, oh, God, deliver us from pandemic, well, that has its value. I don't belittle that at all. But my hope would be that uh, it makes people on a far deeper level appreciate their need for God, their mortality as creatures, because we are not gods. We are creatures, mortal ones at that. And all that God has done for us in Christ for eternal life during this Easter season and so National Day of Prayer would be a day of conversion to prayer, not just offering uh, one prayer mm-hmm. or saying, oh, God, save me and help me out today, which is valid, but that people also would. And I think for a lot of people, uh, this is going to happen. I'm, I'm not cynical about it at all. I am confident that a lot of people, now that the rat race, the merry-go-round has kind of stopped uh, about a lot of things, sadly for many good things as well as things that are not so good, but maybe people will, by the grace of God, have a conversion uh, to be a more God-centered life and to to make the, the, the truly important things in life first and not always be running away from them in busyness and activity and all kinds of worldly pursuits. And I include myself when I say that. You know, I'm not, we all get caught up in things uh, and maybe this is a good occasion. So if National Day of Prayer can help us do that, then I'm all favorable. And we might mention too that May is the month of Mary and it's a great time to begin the habit of praying the rosary each day. Yes, and of course, we will have consecrated, uh, reconsecrated our country to the Blessed Virgin during this month. As a matter of fact, Archbishop, somebody has asked the question regarding that. Thomas in Branford said, 
that I heard that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops will join the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops on May 1st in renewing the consecrations of the two nations to the care of the Blessed Mother under the title Mary, Mother of the Church. What exactly does this mean? Well, that is a traditional uh, form of devotion um, that has been part of Catholic history for a very long time. Um, the United States was consecrated uh, to the care, to the intercession uh, of the Blessed Virgin Mary way back at the beginning. I think it was Bishop Carroll who did it uh, back in the uh, when the United States was first formed, and he was appointed the first bishop uh, in the United States. And then it was done again, uh, I think, by the bishops at least once in the past. It was uh, done when the, Immac the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, the National Shrine, was opened in Washington, D.C., if I'm not mistaken. And now at this time of pandemic, the idea is to offer this traditional prayer, consecrating our country to the care of the Blessed Virgin and asking her to intercede for us uh, for an end to the pandemic and to keep us safe. So, uh, yeah, the Canadian bishops, uh, this is traditional and, I mean, a devotional thing that happens in many countries. I believe the Holy Father did it in Rome, uh, consecrating Rome uh, that way. Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this fourth Sunday of Easter, Archbishop. Today's Gospel is taken from John, the 10th chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, asking for your thoughts on what the Gospel means. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What are your thoughts, Archbishop? The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. They follow him. Well, this is Good Shepherd Sunday, and we say that because, uh, you know, there's a three-year cycle of Sunday readings, but every year on this Sunday after Easter, uh, every year it's always uh, a gospel about Jesus revealing himself as the Good Shepherd. And we know in Scripture, going back in the Old Testament, this idea of God shepherding his people, caring for his people, uh, as a flock, and then and this being entrusted to the kings, you know, like David, King David, and now Christ fulfilling this in an unheard of way, an unmanaged, unmanaged way, that uh, Christ, the incarnate Son of God, being the true shepherd uh, of his of his sheep, and we're not a very agricultural people anymore, most of us. Uh, the the view of sheep is not a common one, uh, but I think we still relate to it very much. So those of us who are ordained also have a special responsibility to be uh, good shepherds uh, after the heart of Christ, 
there's only one shepherd, him. We are just uh, uh, his uh, vicarious uh, representatives here to bring uh, his care and concern to, to people. Uh, but it, I, it's always been a very appealing image to me. Mm-hmm. When I was ordained a priest, I remember the holy card that I had printed with uh, commemorating it was that image uh, from the catacombs of St. Priscilla in Rome, the ancient image of, the, of Christ the Good Shepherd. And, of course, for my own uh, motto, for my coat of arms, I, I took that uh, phrase from the Gospel of John to St. Peter to uh, tend my sheep, pace ovis meas, in Latin. Interesting, think, uh, interesting that you bring up the Good Shepherd imagery from the catacombs of Priscilla because that specific Good Shepherd we had done in inlaid wood and that, if you notice, on the lectern on the podium for the television mass is the insignia uh, right on that podium. Ah, well, I'm shepherd. always on the other, other side of the podium, so I don't notice uh, yeah, it so much. True. Yeah, but it's ah. a, it is a beautiful ancient, uh, ancient uh, symbol. St. Augustine has beautiful advice for us that are ordained. In Latin, he made a play on words. He said, before you can be pre-essay, you have to be pro-essay. That is to say, yes, if you're if you're uh, uh, supposed to be uh, a shepherd, you you go before the flock, but you also have to be for the flock. You can't just uh, assume for yourself the the role of leader. You also have to be a, a leader who is pro dese. Uh, you have to be give yourself for the sake of the sheep. I think that's uh, obviously an extremely important uh, lesson. The sheep follow the shepherd because they recognize his voice, says the scripture. How difficult is it today to recognize the voice of the shepherd? What are the stumbling blocks prohibiting our recognizing the shepherd's voice today, Archbishop? Well, uh, today the other voices have a mighty big megaphone. Uh, I mean, the world, the flesh, and the devil are always uh, siren songs calling out to us, you know, uh, luring us, tempting us, um, appealing to our pride, to our ambitions, to... Uh, the things that uh, keep us uh, from hearing the voice of Christ. But however much they may be there, uh, they never can drown out that voice. The only uh, way that that voice of Christ uh, will not reach us is if we stop our ears to hear it, obviously the ears of our heart and soul, because Christ is always there speaking uh, to us and calling out to us. Uh, Through the church, yes, through the, the proclamation of the good news, but in our souls as well. Jesus says that he has come so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. How do you explain what abundant life means according to Jesus? Well, I think abundant life is revealed in the life of the saints. You know, when you see the life of a saint, I mean, we read the lives of the saints, we listen to what they say. Why? Because it's recognized that they showed how to live uh, they gave no no two lives are the same. We can't absolutely slavishly imitate the life of a saint, but we uh, but their life gives us an idea, an example of how one person was able to live the radical demands of the gospel, and uh, therefore uh, becomes a, a kind of a hero or a heroine for life. So I think that the yeah, other's great uh, wisdom uh, and encouragement to be found in in following the lives of the saints. Let's look at some questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Julie from Manchester, for instance, says, I read an article recently on Crux News that indicated that a coronavirus vaccine created at Oxford University may have used cell lines obtained from an aborted child in the early 1970s. 
The article went on to say that human trials of the vaccine began last week. If this vaccine proves to be effective in preventing or treating COVID-19, what's the moral obligation for Catholics regarding the vaccine? Should a person get it to protect public health, or should they decline to receive the vaccine based on its origin in an aborted fetus cell line? Well, Julie, I can only give a tentative answer to this because uh, I, I can tell you what has happened in the past in this regard. That, uh, you know, this whole anti-vaccine movement that has taken place in many quarters today in our society, uh, one of the uh, accusations, uh, not about uh, COVID-19, but just the vaccines in general, is that some of them uh, have uh, links to aborted children. This has been studied very carefully by the Holy See and by uh, some of the bioethics uh, centers connected with the church, and a determination was made that the vaccines currently in use uh, are so remote from this that this does not pose a moral obstacle. And that's why, even though we decry the, the fact that this was done, uh, and that has been the, the position of the church on this, even in recent controversies about people getting vaccines. Now, with regard to COVID-19, I did see recently a piece in the Catholic News where some organization or representation of the church had come out strongly cautioning that in the development of these new vaccines, recourse should not be made to abortion. You know, aborted lines. I'm, I'm not cell, being very scientific lines. here. Cell, yeah, cells. That uh, is the case. Obviously, we would decry that and say that shouldn't be done. Now, whether eventually uh, this will be the case with some vaccine and whether the same judgment can be made as was made in, in, on vaccines in the past remains to be seen. Nicole from Cheshire has an interesting question. Nicole says, would it be appropriate to have masses scattered throughout the week but still have them count as the weekly obligation? For example, in order to have small groups this summer and spread people out, would it be possible to hold some masses on weeknights and some on the weekend? Well, Nicole, yes, you are ahead of the game here because that is being talked about. First of all, I have to say, even as we speak, the Divine Worship Committee of the Bishops' Conference, of which I'm the chairman, we are intensely engaged right now in giving the bishops of the country some some resources to make decisions about how to gradually open up again with Mass. It's up to each bishop to make his own decisions regarding uh, the circumstances of his diocese. But certainly, I can say that for, for on my part, one of the things uh, I would do at the beginning is to tell people that they are still dispensed from the obligation from Sunday Mass because I don't want to create a crisis of conscience for people who might really, because of their health or circumstances or just their personality, be, be terribly fearful about coming to Mass. They sincerely want to come, but they have this obstacle. And that's one aspect of it. Now, how long that would be uh, the case remains to be seen. But the other thing is, it's been proposed that maybe we could still have, uh, we could just have Masses during the week with smaller groups. And that is entirely uh, possible. I wouldn't say that it would count as a weekly obligation, because again, I would say I would dispense from that obligation for a time. But certainly, the more important thing is the people's desire and uh, need and obligation, really, to, 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 to go to Mass. Uh, if it can be fulfilled in that way, that would, be, uh, that would be possible. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? 
Yes, indeed. Well, we've talked about many things that certainly need prayer and a blessing, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that our listeners will want to be very prayerful in this uh, challenging time. So let us pray. Almighty God, your love for each of us is revealed in Christ the Good Shepherd, who calls each of us by name and invites us to come into the gift of life uh, in him. And we pray that we may always hear and heed his voice. uh, And in the midst of the many challenges we face today for our health and safety, uh, we pray that uh, you, Heavenly Father, will bless us and uh, show us the right path and keep us firm in our faith, keep us safe from illness, and help us uh, to meet the needs that we have for our families and communities. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We wish you well, stay healthy this week, and we look forward to joining you next Sunday. Thank you, you too. 